We have been journeying through the book uh, of the journey of Joshua and Israel and what God had for them and His mission for them and His calling for them. And now we're going to switch back to the series that we were doing on the church and the mission and the calling of the church. Now, when I was in high school, I studied chemistry. I don't know why I studied chemistry. I wasn't good at it. I struggled with it. But I remember this. Second law of thermodynamics says this. All things trend towards disorder. More specifically, as one goes forward in time, the amount of entropy or the, dis- the amount of disorder always increases. As you move forward in life, something that was ordered will always move towards disorder naturally. Here's a picture. Order on one side, moving towards entropy on the other side. Disorder. A petrol engine. You put fuel in it. It's ordered as a liquid, goes through the engine, comes out the other side disordered as energy and gas. Ice is ordered. It's all in hard molecules. Melt it, goes disordered. Fire it up and heat it up. It goes even more disordered into heat and gas. Entropy, order towards disorder. But our environment isn't the only thing where we see entropy. I think we see entropy in groups of people, in businesses, in organisations, and in movements like the church. At one stage, they begin ordered around an idea, around a passion, around a philosophy, around a set of values. It creates energy and movement. Entropy is the natural movement away from that original idea, the original passion, the original philosophy, the original set of values that united people, that moved them forward together And instead it moves towards disorder, competing values, competing ideas. You may recall a few weeks ago, I shared that the original idea that the first century church rallied itself around was that Jesus rose from the dead, that He was who He said He was, and that based on that promise, you can can set your life for transformation on it. That was the original idea. That was their passion. That was their core value that they rallied around. And then ever since that moment in the first century, century, entropy has been at play. Entropy is trying to be drawing the church away from the central idea, the core value, the passion that creates energy and movement. Instead of being around Jesus and who He was and His resurrection, a whole other bunch of stuff has got in the way and diluted the main idea of the church. I remember in the church I grew up in, I've shared this before, I wore shorts that day and the elderly gentleman came to me and said, Jesus doesn't want to see your knees, Andrew. Entropy. Entropy. I remember a church I worked at, the worship team was doing phenomenal stuff and people from the community were coming and they'll be moved by the worship and the church was growing and the worship had a lot to do with it. I remember a lady coming to me after the service with her decibel reading saying, it's too loud, see? Entropy. 
Entropy away from the main idea. Thank you, my friend. I remember people have had a go at me because of my beliefs about the last book of the Bible, Revelation, entropy. I remember people have written me off because of my ideas around spiritual gifts, entropy. Rather than rallying around the main idea of who Jesus was, He rose from the dead, and that what He promised you can bet your life on for transformation, all these other things have come into play that have moved us away from the energy around what Jesus originally called us from, entropy. Where would you place yourself on the entropy scale from the original idea of the first century church? That Jesus was raised from the dead. That He was who He said He was. And then you can base your life on transformation on that truth. Is that still the main idea? Is that still the rally cry? Is that still the core value? Is that still the passion that drives you? You can write this one down. A church's impact matches its focus. A church's impact matches its focus. And if you break that down a little bit more, the individuals who make up the local church, their focus matches the impact. We are only as impactful as your focus and my focus. If we are a community that's moved away from the original idea in our own lives, then we will see that play out in our impact. If, on the other hand, we have managed to keep Jesus and His resurrection and what He did for us as a central idea of our own lives, then we as a community will see the combined impact of that focus. And do you know how you can tell what your focus in life is? What you pray about. Let's imagine we only had seven prayers a week. That's all we had. It's not what Scripture says. Scripture says pray about everything and anything. But let's say God for some reason wanted to ration them out. And each of us had seven prayers and we had one prayer each day. Monday for your Monday morning prayer or evening prayer, whichever you are. Tuesday to keep the day going. Then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for your midweek prayers. And then Saturday, Sunday for your weekend prayers. What would be your seven prayer choices to pray about? If you had to think, God's gonna come on the back of my prayer and He's gonna bring power to my prayer and the Kingdom of Heaven is gonna come to earth through the power of my prayer. I've only got seven to pray this week. What am I gonna pray about? What are my seven choices? Your seven choices will reflect your focus and your focus will reflect our impact. What did the early church pray about? 
but I know what I prayed about. The other day when we were on holidays, I caught myself praying for the dreaded car parking spot. I was towing a caravan. I didn't want to walk blocks. I wanted the coffee shop was right there. Lord Jesus, I just need one just right down the road. For whatever reason, he gave me one. I don't know why he did. Then I remember, because we're on the road doing thousands of kilometres, I pray protection over the family and on the road. Hedge of protection over my family. At that time, we're praying for the right home that God would provide, Beck and I and the family. We're praying over the finances, silencing the neighbour who was ticking me off with his loud music. I mean, you can tell by my prayers, right, what my focus is. And they're all good prayers and they're all right prayers, but I only got seven to pray. Multiply that by on a bad day if 30% of you are doing the same thing. Or 50% of you, or 60% of you, all praying the same thing. That your day is being full of prayers about yourself. Where do you think our focus is as a church? And if that's our focus, where do you think our impact is? I'm not saying the bad prayers. You've got to hear me. Scripture says pray about everything. I'm not arguing with the boss. I'll pray about my car parking spot. But multiply that across our whole church family, it will reflect our impact. Let's go back to the first century church. When the early church launched, there were those 120 Christians to start off with. They were jam-packed together, deciding to follow Jesus. Peter preached his first message, 3,000 other people jump on board and become Christians. Phenomenal, phenomenal day. You'll see it in Acts chapter 3. A few days later, Peter and John decide they're going to go up to the synagogue. Synagogue is the, the central place of worship for the Jews. They're going to go up to the synagogue and they're going to pray. On their way up to the synagogue to pray, there's a guy there who's lame, can't walk, hasn't walked all his life, 40 years old. He sits there every day and he asks all the people going up to the synagogue, can I have some money, please? Can I have some money, please? Can I have some money, please? Everyone knows him. He's been there 40 years. He's 40 years old. Well, Peter and John come up and they see the guy and they say, mate, we haven't got a brass razzoo. We've got nothing. But I tell you what, take hold of my hand and stand up takes hold of his hand, the guy stands up, instantly his feet and his ankles are healed and he runs into the synagogue and the temple courts and he starts praising God and dancing and shouting and starts telling the story about what just happened. Well, naturally people start coming and asking Peter and John, what's the story? We've seen this guy for 40 years, he's been sitting there. What's the story? Tell us about how, how did this happen? How did you have the power to help this guy to walk? Well, uh, this is how Peter and John kind of respond because Peter sees it as a second opportunity, sermon number two. So he stands up there in the middle of the synagogue and he says, hey, you blokes, you're the ones who killed Jesus. Now I realise that your leaders were a bit naive. They didn't get it, but still it was you. You killed Jesus. You're still part of it. But it was God's plan. He intended that to happen all the way along. Jesus rose from the dead. And you guys get it? Better listen to what we're saying, otherwise you're in trouble. Right there, in the middle of the Jewish synagogue. How to make friends influence people 101. Now, of course, the temple priests and the temple CEO and the religious leaders came right up to Peter 
And they arrested them, threw them into jail because they didn't know what to do with them. You guys got to stop saying that stuff. That's not the story we want out there. That's not what we're communicating. You got to, got to rein that in. And in the morning in Acts chapter four, they get Peter and John out and they say, hey fellas, uh, you got to stop blaming us. Okay, you got to, got to stop pointing the finger at us at this whole crucifixion stuff. It's getting old really quickly. And Peter says to them, well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. You do you and we'll do us. Oh, and by the way, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And no other religious leader before that has said it and no other religious leader after it has said that. These guys just came out of a night in jail. Can they still smell like jail? The religious leaders threatened them a bit more, best they could. Got to stop doing it, fellas. You really, like you really, really got to stop doing this. Peter and John run off, go back to the 120. 2,000 more people become Christians because of Peter's sermon number two. They go into the 120 Christians. They sigh this big sigh of relief. They had no idea where they went. They just disappeared off the planet. Where were you guys? And we were in jail. We spent a night in jail. They pulled us in there. They threatened us. Like they were telling us to stop preaching it up. Okay, they're all gathered together like this. Peter and John just share that story. The church gathers to pray. This is their first prayer after Peter and John come out of jail and have their lives threatened by these religious leaders. What would you have prayed? You know how you're doing in Christian prayer, meeting? you all sit in a circle. Someone starts and is kind of going to go around the circle. If one of you guys didn't jump in and pray, I would have prayed something like this, to be honest. And I would have ramped it up and got louder as I went on. Like this. Father God, Please put a hedge of protection around these two men. Put a hedge of protection around us as your church. Protect us from the enemy that desires to snuff out this movement. Watch over us, bless us. Put a Maxwell Smart Dome of protection over us. Keep us safe because we are your people with a really important job to do. Amen. And you would have all said, Amen. That's a cracking prayer. That's an awesome prayer. You teach that to anybody. And, and so you should. It's a valid prayer. It's a prayer that we should pray. And just in case we didn't think that prayer was going to work for some reason, maybe we'd come up with a backup plan. We might suggest to Peter and John not to travel together. Pete, you go to Noosa. Uh, John, you go down to Caloundra. Let's just keep separate. In case one of you gets arrested, at least we've still got someone else in play, right? Maybe we could get a couple of trucks with tinted windows and guys with little earpieces that go with you. Just a bit of protection because you guys are our leaders and you've got some really important stuff to do. We need to make sure that we protect you guys. And maybe just... Just change your message up just a little bit. 
I talk about love. Everybody loves love, right? Peace. Go back to the Beatitudes. Like just don't do the whole resurrection stuff at the moment. We'll get to it. We'll come to it. We've just got to make sure the message and the people get beyond this week. All right, just let's just shift gear for a season. What would you pray? Because what you pray will reflect your focus. And your focus will reflect the impact. This is what the church prayed in Acts chapter 4 after Peter and John come back. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In other words, God, just before we start, we just want to remind you that we know you're who we're talking to. You're the sovereign Lord. Nothing is out of your control. Nothing happens without you. You made everything. We just want to refocus ourselves. Verse 25. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord, against Jesus. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles, people of Israel in the city, to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. And they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. And so they're praying and they're going, God, you're the greatest, you're sovereign. You predicted these things were going to happen and they're happening as we speak. They're playing out right in front of us, just as you predicted they would, just as you prophesied they would, just as you said they would. Nothing surprises you, check. Nothing's out of your control, check. Happens just as you wanted, check. Now they get to the gimme part of the prayer. This is what we want. This is what we want. We've butted you up. We've told you, that's the most crass way of saying it. We've actually from our hearts told you what we believe. We've set our hearts right. Now we're going to tell you what we want. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Not one word of protection. Not one word of Maxwell's smart cone of protection. Not one whisper of hedge us in. Not one word of bring your angels and smite the enemy. The one thing that the early church, 120, as they gathered together with their friends having just come back from jail is would you give them boldness to go back out again? Now, if you prayed that for me out of coming out of jail, I'd have words. Like, is that it? Did you leave half your prayer out? But their prayer reflects their focus. The focus isn't Peter and John. The focus isn't their protection. The focus isn't that they live a long and happy life. The focus isn't that they don't go to jail again. The focus is that Jesus' name gets out amongst the people and lives are transformed. 
That's the early church's focus. And so they pray. Would you give these guys even more boldness to go out and do it again? Now, I would have thought they had boldness in aces, let's be honest. Standing up in the middle of the synagogue and preaching to them and to the Jews. But have you ever prayed for boldness? Like I've often prayed that God would change people's lives all the time. And I pray that God, by through the Holy Spirit, would turn people toward Himself. I pray that God might do what only He can do. But do you pray that God would do something in you that you can do what only you can do? That you might be able to speak and share and communicate about Jesus in the context and situations and in moments of the Spirit's promptings where previously you had, would imagine you never would have been able to do before. Your neighbour that you've known for 10 years, but you've never spoken about Jesus. You're waiting for the right moment. Your friend who you speak to on the phone every week who doesn't know Jesus, but you've never brought up Jesus. Hasn't been the right timing. Your uni mate that you sit next to each week. Now I'm not saying praying for weirdness. There's plenty of Christian weirdness. We don't need any more weirdness. We need boldness and we need courage. You know that moment, as I've spoken about before, when the Spirit counts you in. This is your chance. I've opened up a window. Let me count you in. One, two. Boldness. Do you know why the first century church made such an impact? Because if the name of Jesus is the only name by which people can be saved, then they boldly and courageously directed their worlds and their lives around that one value, around that one big idea, around that mission, around that cause. And whatever it took and whoever it was, that's our focus, is that Jesus' name might be proclaimed. And in that situation, when it felt like hell was coming against them, the prayer they needed to pray was boldness and courage. So if we were lining up your seven prayers here, one for each day, for whatever reason, that's all you got this week. What would be your Monday prayer as you launched into the week? What if it was a who rather than a what? What if it was about you rather than about them? What would your Wednesday prayer be like when things didn't look like it was starting to fall into fruition? What would you be praying on your Wednesday and your Thursday? As you begin to get toward the end of the week and you become more desperate for God to do what only He can do in your Friday and your Saturday prayers and your Sunday prayers as the people come together, what are your prayers that are reflecting your focus that's going to impact our impact as a church family? 
we are not a vision statement on the TV. We're not the best rally cry from anyone here on stage. We are a combination of each one of our prayer lives, of our heart's desires being expressed to God around the one big idea that the first century was that Jesus rose from the dead, that He is who He said He was, and that you can base your life for transformation and eternity on that truth and everything else is a side issue. As the team comes up, I want to pray along those lines. Again, you've got to hear me bring all those other wonderful prayers. It's interesting that the early church, a lot of their miracles were for people who didn't know God. And it was to back up the message. When was the last time you prayed for a miracle for somebody that it might back up the message that you're preaching about Jesus? That would take some boldness. Do you think Peter and John had performed that miracle before? I reckon that was probably their first time. 50-50, let's give it a go. Boldness and courage, boldness and courage, boldness and courage. What's the person's name this week that you could be praying about? Boldness and courage. What's the area of our community you could be praying about? Boldness and courage. Uh, it was a beautiful word by Ursula at the beginning, a shaking up. That was like spot on earth. And I think that is true. Certainly Phil's been leading that way in conversation. God's doing a new thing. And it's not us as an institution, it's us as individuals. And I'm excited for what God's going to do because I'm excited to see what He's doing in us. And I'm already hearing the conversations and being part of the journey of some of you. God is doing something beautiful. The impact is going to come because He's refocusing His church. And His name is Jesus. So Jesus, we just want to stand. In fact, we just want to stand in front of you this morning and realign our hearts with you. You called us to follow you. You called us out from darkness into your marvellous light. And so we want to, as you asked, lay down our nets, lay down our text collecting and our doctor surgeries. We want to follow you. So Lord, in the quiet of our prayer times, would you lead us and would you guide us? Would you prompt us and speak to us? Would you give us evidence of the power of your Spirit that we might, might more boldly and courageously step into what you've asked us to do? We pray this because you're the King in Jesus' name. Amen.